Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. I want to thank everybody for coming in and welcome you into my home, McKinney, Texas, for another another broadcast of Gospel Saving Church on SoundCloud and all over the world. And I'm so thankful to be up here in front of you and teaching God's Word again. And so thankful God has uh, allowed me, given me this privilege of speaking in front of you and and teaching you His Word week after week after week. Welcome. God bless you. Uh, If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I'm going to lift up the message in our hearts real quick before we get going, and that way we can have God's blessing on on what we do here and and His favor. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for bringing us here. Thank you so much for your word, and it is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, as the psalmist said. So, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that you gave us this wisdom. Now, Lord, I pray you help us to understand it, Lord. Please, Lord, enlighten our hearts, enlighten our, enlighten our minds, Lord God, and help us to understand what you have to tell us today. And then as I prayed earlier, I'll pray again now, please help all of us in this room, in my home, and all those coming online, listening all over the world, Lord, help us, Lord, not only to understand what you tell us here today, but help us, Lord, to put it into practice, Lord. For, Lord, we can't just be hearers of the word only, Lord. We must be doers of your word also. Lord, that's what your word says. We can't just hear and walk away. It does us no good. Wisdom not applied is foolishness. I've been saying that for years. And you say the same thing. I just said it a different way. You're the author. So, Lord, help us to not only understand what you have to tell us today, Lord, but help us to do it, Lord. Help us keep distractions out of our lives, Lord, as we're listening to this message, Lord. And and I pray, dear God, please, Lord, that that we would all stay attent and alert and, and attentive until the end, Lord, because... Your word is so important. All that you have to say is so important to us, Lord. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we just ask that you do all these things and and help us in all these ways, Lord, in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. If you guys want to open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 12 through 16 this week. Again, that's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. And we're going to read those. Here in a little bit, after my thoughts from last week's message, one must endure to the end to be saved. So last week, just like Paul did with the church there, he commanded Timothy and he command, you know, to teach the believers. I, last week, I exhorted, I commanded, and I taught you that if you are a Christian, you must endure in your faith in Christ, along with striving to live a life of love, to him, you know, a life that lines up with your faith. You say you have faith, live a life according to the faith that you say you have until you die in order to attain what? His eternal promise, his eternal life that he offers. And we looked at many verses in the Bible that taught us this. Many, 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 many indeed. But there's no one section of scripture that puts that what I said about enduring and faith and in love and in a life lived better than John 15, 1 through 8, where Jesus says it perfectly. And he gives a whole little section, little eight verses. I'm going to run through them quickly. And I mean, really, there's no more powerful way to put it than he did here. And not just in a one liner, not just in a one verse, but in a whole section. And I want you to hear what he has to say and just to see how important it is that we truly endure in our faith and in our love for Christ until the end, if we do love Him, if we are saved. 
John 15, 1 through 8, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, so this is a branch in him now, that does not bear fruit. What's a branch in him? Somebody that's in him. Where are the branches? He's the main, you know, he's the main stem. Okay. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. Or better translated, he removes it. You see, when you have a, a, a plant in real life and you have a plant and you have a bush, if you see a branch that's not producing any good fruit, if you just leave that branch on there, that branch pulls and draws life from the plant that the, that the plant can't send to the other good branches that are producing you know, the good fruit. So it's really better to get that branch off of there and take it away off of the plant because it's not helping the plant and the rest of the plant's growth. And that's what Jesus is really saying here. But he's not just talking about plants. He's talking about people. Every branch that's in me, he says, and every branch that bears fruit, he goes on to say, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So every you know branch that's producing, he kind of trims it up and makes sure it's you know not got anything dead on it and takes all the dead away and prunes it and that it may bear more fruit. So you see the, the parallel there. You see the, the, or I should say the opposites there. One branch doesn't produce anything, he takes away, he gets rid of it. One branch produces, he makes it, he helps it produce more. He goes on to say, verse 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse 4, he says, Abide in me. That's a command. Abide in me, he says, and I in you. The Greek word for abide is meno. Strong's defines this as a primary verb. Okay, what is a primary verb? It's an action verb. It's it's a it's a continual action. Something that's a verb is something that goes on. It's a continuous thing that goes on. And Strong's defines this as this continual action of staying or given a place, staying in a place, uh, uh, staying in a state, staying in a relation, or staying in an uh, an expectancy, abiding, continuing, dwelling, enduring, being present, remaining, standing, tearing, meaning I'm in the house and I'm staying in the house. I'm abiding in my house. This is where I live And Jesus just said that a person must continually abide, stay, continue trusting in him or living for and obeying him. That's what he just said. You must stay. Abide in me and I in you. He says, abide in me, the command again, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So you can't produce fruit Godly fruit, unless you abide, unless you're staying in Christ. He goes on to say, verse 5, I am, the, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I him bears much fruit. So if you're abiding in me, you're going to produce lots of fruit. You're going to be a fruitful Christian if you're abiding in me. For without me, you can do nothing. So as long as a person abides in Jesus Christ... They will produce good fruit. Or you could say good works for Christ. It's a very easy concept to understand. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, so if anyone doesn't stay 
or remain in me or in my teachings and stay in obedience to me and in faithfulness to me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and are burned. Well, what does that sound like to you? If I'm gathering up branches and throwing them in a fire to be burned, and, and we know this is, a, an, a, this is a physical picture of a spiritual idea, what is it when we're, people are taken up at the end and they're thrown into the great furnace and the great fire? Well, that's not heaven. Heaven is a place of joy. Heaven is a place of peace. Here we're talking about burning. We're talking about eternal hell, eternal lake of fire. This is what that sounds like to me. They're taken up. They're thrown them into the fire and they're burned. Now notice here in verse 6, he didn't say that if anyone doesn't come and abide in me, right? He said, he said, if anyone does not abide in me. Now remember the word abide means someone who's in already. So we're not talking about an unsaved here. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, if anyone is not staying in me, he said, if anyone doesn't stay or remain in me or in him and in faith and obedience, so a saved person, that what, what happened is, is if we as a Christian don't stay and abide and remain in him, we're walking away from him. We're giving up our eternal life. We're walking straight into hell just as somebody that never knew him would. He goes on to say the last couple, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, which is a conditional promise. We talked about that last week. If you do this and you do this, then he says, if you abide in me and my words in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So if you're really in me, when you pray according to my will, you'll get an answer to your prayer. That's pretty awesome. For this is my, for, for, or by this, he goes on, verse 8, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So notice that the even the fact of being a disciple was conditional upon us continuing to abide in him. Anyway, there's no clearer passage of scripture than this one, and no more powerful one that shows us that a Christian, somebody that's saved, somebody that's given their lives to the Lord, must endure in abiding in Christ. They must endure. We must endure in our faith in Him. We must endure striving towards obedience, towards what He says to do, in order to both produce fruit for God, for God's kingdom, and what? Attain eternal life after we die. So Christians, this is no joke, and this this once saved, always saved doctrine is very dangerous. Just go to John 15, and it's not all about fruit. Because if it was all about fruit, which I had somebody say within the last week or two, if it, that section was all about fruit, then what happens to the branch that doesn't produce any fruit, that's cut off, that's thrown into the fire? What is that? Explain that. Please take your eyes off of what you've been taught and just look at the scripture for what it says. Christians, please be careful to endure in Christ Jesus, trusting in Him and striving to be obedient to Him and His commands until you die. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes and we all still unfortunately sin. But God says that don't think of your sin like, oh, well, it's just sin. Uh, I just sin. Oh, who cares? All right, and oh, well, who cares if I continue? Uh, you know, I just don't trust in the Lord. No. A Christian is someone who trusts, puts all their trusts in God 
A Christian is somebody who puts all their faith in Christ. And a Christian is also someone that's disciplining their ways to be more like Jesus. A Christian is a follower of Christ. It's no wonder why Paul writes in Philippians 2.12, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul didn't see anything about a once saved, always saved. What is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Hey guys, you're not safe until you get there. You're not safe just any way you live until you get there. You're safe if you abide in him. But be careful because, you know, we can slip kind of thing. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All right. Well, praise God. If you guys want to start, I'm going to read here 1 Timothy 4, uh, 12 through 16. The title of our message is The Biblical Doctrine of Eternal Salvation. Again, the title is The Biblical Doctrine of Eternal Salvation. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 through 16. I'm going to read it. You can read along with me or you can just listen along, whatever you'd like to do. Verse 12. Paul goes on to tell Timothy, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the, do not neglect, excuse me, the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So, very interesting section of Scripture today. Kind of here's how it's going to go. I'm going to really rock and roll through the first four verses of our Scripture. We're studying five today. And I'm really going to rock and roll through our first four verses, and I'm going to spend the majority of time on the last verse, verse 16. That's where we're going to spend the most of our time today. So let's breeze through verses 12 through 15, because really what they are, verses 12 through 15, are just Paul's commands to Timothy on kind of, you know, his personal ministry to the church in Ephesus. Remember, Timothy was the interim pastor while Paul was away. So verses 12 through 15, with just a little bit of comment, verse 12 says again, Paul tells Timothy, let no one despise your youth. What's he saying? Well, remember, Timothy was a young pastor, and a young pastor of a church is going to be in charge. Of course, the pastor's one in charge. He's going to be in charge of, you know, the more elder people. Like he's going to, and Paul's going to go through even, you know, breaking this down that we're going to start in a couple weeks. Uh, as we have Christmas next week. and uh, But remember, Paul, Timothy was a young pastor, and he had a lot of older believers that he was in charge of. So Paul says, you know, don't let them look down on you just because you're young, Timothy. I know you're young, but don't look, let them look down on you for being young. How did Paul tell Timothy, how would one accomplish this if they were young? Like how would, you know, how would a young man who's a pastor accomplish you know, showing himself and proving himself to the older leadership or the older peoples of the church. Well, look what Paul tells him to do. He goes on to say, don't let them look down on their youth, but be an example to the believers. And, you know, this being Paul, we could say being a godly example to the believers. He says, be a godly example in word. What does that mean? 
be a godly example in the way you talk. Make sure your speech is good. You know, don't speak evil of people, you know, and be a godly example in the way you even speak. Be a godly example, number two, in your conduct. Every action that you perform, everything and the way you carry yourself, just how you hold yourself when you're with people, just everything you do. Be an example to believers in love. Love them like Jesus Christ. He goes, love them, or uh, be an example in spirit, which is be an example in the power of God. Be an example in faith, which is trusting Jesus Christ more than any of them. Uh, Be an example in purity, number six, which is holy living. Be an example to these guys that you're over in all these ways. So this is Paul's advice to Timothy uh, to be a godly example that he should be to prove to these church members that he was the right man for the job, that he was worthy to lead even though he was young. And I'll give a small aside. I will say to any leader or pastor of any church that's listening to me out there that this advice from Paul to Timothy should really be a must for you as well. Uh, Paul's going to tell us why in a little bit, but just I want you to exhort you, if you're a leader of a church or if you're a pastor of a church, let those things that Paul just gave Timothy, let them be a focus for you as well too, as you are the leader. Paul goes on to tell him in verse 13, he says, until I come back or till I come back, remember Paul was away doing missionary work. So focus on those things, proving yourself. And then until I come back now, so Paul's away, he says, give attention to these things, which means give a super amount of your focus to these specific things. And he lists them off. Number one, he says, give a super amount of your focus to reading. It'd be reading God's word. Stay in God's word. Stay in that book. For that book we know brings spiritual life. Number two, uh, exhortation. Uh, Give a super amount of your focus to encouraging believers in the passionate ways that they need to follow and have faith in the teachings of Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. And and number three, he says, give a super amount of your attention to doctrine, which is teaching and studying the correct, true, orthodox, apostolic teachings of God's word in God's church, right? And I'll also add to any teacher of God's word today that they need to be doing these same things also because... You want to make sure you're teaching the biblical Jesus and the biblical doctrines of the Bible. We've gone ahead and talked about all the false ones out there. Plus, why is that important? Well, James 3.1, he says this, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. Guess why? Knowing that you as a teacher will receive stricter judgment. So as a teacher of God's word, even myself, I have to be careful how I'm teaching God's word to you because I'm laying your foundation, the Bible calls it. I'm leaving, I'm laying your foundation. I'm teaching you God's word. And if I teach you wrong, God's going to hold me accountable for what I teach you wrong. Also note here that this is the first time that Paul tells Timothy to focus on doctrine. That's very important. I'll show you later. Next, Paul tells Timothy, verse 14, he says, Do not neglect the gift that is within you which was given to you by the prophecy of the laying on of hands of the eldership. Remember, 1 Timothy, the first part of uh, the first part of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 tells us that Timothy's gift given to him by prophecy was to remember fight a fight of prayer for the world. Remember? That was something that Paul said, you know, remember your prophecy, remember the prophecy concerning you. And then so Paul says, don't forget in the midst of all this, hey, don't forget to be fighting for others in prayer. Hey, work on your godly life, 
proving yourself to others, proving yourself to the, you know, the, to the, to your older congregation, and don't forget to be praying. Next, Paul goes on to tell Timothy the level of commitment that he should have, that he should give to those commands that he just gave him to do. Verse 15, he says, meditate on these things. So what does that mean? Focus all of your attention on the things that I just told you to do. And in fact, don't just meditate on them. Give yourself entirely to them, is Paul's second thing he says. Give yourself entirely to them. What is that? What is he saying? Be completely sold out to you doing the things I just told you to do for what? For this ministry. For your church. This is the church that God puts you over. Sell yourself out for the people of this church. Sell yourself out for this church that God has put you on, that put you over. He goes on to say that your progress may be evident to all. What, what is that? What is he saying? So that everybody, everybody can see all your godly advances. Everybody can see all the godly ways in which you're living. Everybody can see all the ways in which you study that Bible. Everybody can see all the way in which you're exhorting them and the way you're teaching them and the way you're giving careful you know, understanding and teaching to the correct doctrines of the Bible. Well, I told you I was going to talk about it later. Why is this so important that Timothy's progress should have been that important that everybody would have been able to see all his great spiritual advances? Why? Well, remember, you, especially if you're a leader of a church, and me, and again, I said I'd talk about it later, Timothy, <coughs> excuse me, was the leader of this church. And a great leader, which was Paul was trying to, you know, train Timothy to be a great leader. A great leader does what? Well, a great leader spiritual otherwise, a great leader leads from the front. A great leader doesn't get in the back and oh yeah, yeah, go there. Yeah, yeah, go. No, a great leader says, follow me, guys and girls. Follow me. Look at the way I'm doing it and follow me. Paul laid the same requirement on himself. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me, tells that church, just as I imitate Christ. Simply here, Paul tells Timothy, hey, make sure your, your, your you know, progress is evident before all so that you can lead in a godly way from the front and show them how to really serve God. Paul closes his exhortation to Timothy in his ministry and service to the church, telling him the fullness of why he should do all these things that he just told him that he needed to be doing. And we will be spending the rest of our time here in verse 16. Verse 16, he says, Mom will break it down. Take heed to yourself. Be very careful. Watch yourself in all the things that I just told you to do. Make sure you're really focusing on loving them like Christ, having faith, living a super godly lifestyle, leading from the front, be a great godly example to them and lead them from the front. Take heed to yourself. He reiterates what he had just told him. Do it. Everything I just said, man, focus on your life for God. He goes on to tell him number two, not only take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Now, this is the second time that Paul mentions to Timothy that he needs to be focused on the apostolic orthodox doctrine. What is that? That's the teachings of the disciples. 
the Bible, the things that God told, Jesus Christ told Peter, James, John, you know, all the original disciples, which are all their teachings in the, uh, in the epistles of our, new, of our Bible that we have today. They're not the Gospels, but the doctrines are the, the way we understand what Jesus said by the apostles and by the disciples. He says the second time, make sure you're focused on that doctrine or... You could say the correct teachings of the Bible, because we've been talking about that, right? There's correct teachings of the Bible, and then there's incorrect teachings of the Bible. That's super important. I'll show you in just a moment. He goes on to say, he says, continue in those things. Continue in focusing on the correct teachings of the Bible. Focus on the correct doctrine, Timothy. Focus on your holy life and leading these people from them and continue in them. What's he saying? Don't stop really walking in Christ. Don't stop walking in holiness. Don't stop walking in faith. Don't stop leading the people of the church from the front and focusing on the correct teachings of the Bible. And why? What's the big why to to Paul's exhortation to Timothy to live these ways? to teach the correct doctrines of the Bible? Lastly, verse 16. For in doing this, or you could say for in doing these things, listen to this, very, very important now, for in living these ways and in teaching these doctrines, making sure you're focused on the correct doctrines of the Bible, you will save, now this is eternally, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Wow. Wow. And double and triple. Wow. So he just said that in your practice of holiness and your teaching of the correct doctrines or teachings of the Bible, you will bring salvation to yourself and anyone that listens to you. Well, I'll say wow again. Do you realize what he just said? Do you realize what he just mean? What he, what he means by what he said? Think about it. I have been preaching my heart off for the last two weeks telling you that, the, that only the correct teachings of the Bible and, who, and of who Jesus Christ really is can really save people. Haven't I, been, I, mean, I, I almost feel like a broken record. Two weeks in a row, doctrine, correct doctrine, correct biblical doctrine, correct biblical doctrine, and the real Jesus Christ. These are the only ways ladies and gentlemen, that we can have salvation to know who the real Jesus Christ is. To know what the real, true, biblical doctrines are. These are the only ways we can have salvation. And Paul here just confirmed what I've been preaching my heart out on. And I promise you one thing. I did not study this verse for sermon until just this week. I had no, I mean, I knew it was there. I read it over lots of times. But I did not look ahead and go, well, there you go. That's it. I'm going to preach this for two weeks because I know this is coming up. I did not. Paul just confirmed what I've been pounding down your throat for the last two weeks in one simple verse of the Bible. For in doing these things, for in living a godly life, leading from the front and teaching the correct Bible teachings... You will save yourself and save those who hear you. Or you could say, you can help yourself get to have eternal life and you can help those that are listening to you have eternal life as well. So 
I didn't teach you that the true teachings of Jesus Christ in the Bible are the only way to get people to get saved because I knew this verse was coming up. I promise it was just there, but God's Holy Spirit knew and he must have been leading me to say that because there's no other way. That's all I could say. Now, the only thing that Paul added that I wasn't teaching was the fact that the pastor of the church who is teaching the correct doctrines of the Bible should be practicing a super godly lifestyle sold out to the ministry in which God has given him in order for this to be. And I will agree with what Paul says here. You see, a pastor does need to teach and preach the people correct teachings of the Bible and the correct doctrines of the Bible and who Jesus Christ really is and live a godly lifestyle. Why? Well, think about it. If you don't see the pastor, let's say you even hear the pastor teaching the correct doctrines, but you don't, outside of a slip, because we all sin, right? We're not perfect. But uh, let, let's say a pastor teaches the correct doctrines of the Bible. Every single one of them, right down to the very last one of them. But then he lives a lifestyle, not just the boop here or a boop there, but he lives a lifestyle of against those teachings, You know, he tells you, oh, God says don't sin, stay away from sin, God says this, God says this, but then he goes out in his life, and you see him, he's leading from the front, but he's leading from the front the opposite of what he's teaching you. What is that called? That's not going to lead anybody to salvation because that's called hypocrisy. He says, well, I can live one way and I can teach another? Absolutely, and I'll tell you what. There's not one person that practices any sin that's getting into heaven. Heaven's not a place for those who practice any sin, especially hypocrisy. Absolutely not. So now I could be done here. I could say, hey, praise God, let's pray, we're done. But I can't. Because this whole idea here, God is so good to us. God, God knew that I was going to teach this, and God gave me a very interesting surprise this week for us. He gave me a real-life phone call this week that confirms exactly what Paul just told Timothy and exactly what I've been teaching you for the last two weeks about the whole, about the whole teaching a correct biblical doctrine of the Bible in order to help your people get saved, in order for me to be saved myself. Because if I start teaching you false things, false teachers have their place which burns in the lake with fire. I mean, there's no salvation for me if I'm going to teach you the Bible wrong, and I'm not going to help you get into heaven because I'm teaching you false things, and I'm not going to teach you the correct way of salvation. So we're all going to just go to hell if I don't do this right. So God gave me a very interesting phone call this week. And I was very privileged and blessed to talk to a very nice salesman about some advertising that he was introducing to me that he wanted me to do for our church. He had a really good plan for our little house church to give us some good exposure. Um, I don't think we'll be able to do it just because it's $200 a month that we don't have right now. But it was a really great deal and it really sounded good. But, you know, he went ahead and I I heard him out and I was really excited about it, even though I don't think we could do it. But... um, you know, nevertheless, I, I still listen to him, and, and it's a very interesting thing. It sounds like a good plan. But back to our conversation, how did our conversation apply to this message that I'm teaching you right now? I won't use his name, but I'm going to run through our conversation and how it applies to what Paul told Timothy right here, okay? Verse 16, Paul just told Timothy that if a pastor is living a godly life, representing Christ, 
doing what he's supposed to be doing, leading from the front, and teaching others the true teachings of the Bible, then people of his church would be getting saved, or that his people of his church would, you know, be saved, right? That's what we just talked about. Well, I let this fellow give me his sales pitch, and I wasn't sure, you know, what I was going to do. I wasn't necessarily feeling like this is what I was going to do. This is just something that kind of happened as kind of the godly conversations that I have with people, they kind of come up. This fellow gives me his sales pitch, and I told him I'd pray about it and talk to church, which I have. Then the Lord told me to say to him, okay, now that you've given me your sales pitch, I have a sales pitch for you as well now too. So laughingly, he agrees. We'll we'll just call him John. His name is not John, but I'll just call him John. So John, in in kind of some humor, laughingly, he, he agrees. My first question to him, I said, so John, how did you grow up? And what kind of faith did you grow up in? Well, he tells me he grew up Methodist. But then as he got older, he kind of worked his way out of the Methodist church, and he kind of moved to a, well, it was a, it was a non-denominational Christian church, or, or so-called Christian church, called Mars Hill, and it was led by a man named Mark Driscoll, okay? And this, he was in this particular church, this Mars Hill church, for 15 years. So once I heard this, once I heard him say this, I knew automatically where I, I felt by the Holy Spirit where God wanted me to go with this witness, because... You see, Mars Hill, I knew a little bit about Mars Hill. I've studied a little bit about Mars Hill. I've looked into it. I've talked to people that have been there. I've gone on the web. I've done some research. And I knew that this Mars Hill church is pretty apostate. They're, they teach kind of just worldly things. And they don't, they're not really true to the biblical doctrines. They're not really, a, you know, they weren't, they're, they're not a, a church solid in the word of God. They're kind of, they were kind of a joke, Okay. And not only did Driscoll teach false teachings of the Bible, but he was also removed from his position from the church for committing financial fraud. And then Mars Hill closed its doors. So if that gives you any indication what kind of church this was, this church is the pastor was was living a fraudulent financial lifestyle. And then, you know, leading the people from the front, there's salvation for you. And then the church closes doors, and then just a few satellite churches still remain today, but they don't go by Mars Hill Church name anymore. They all have different names, and they're all like separate entity churches now, okay? Now remember, according to what Paul said here, and what I've been teaching you for the last two weeks, only the true teachings of the Bible and of who Jesus Christ really are can save people. So after I heard him say these things, after I heard him say he you know, grew up Methodist, which there's not a lot of good Methodist churches out there, Plus, I heard him say that he was from Mars Hill Church. I had my suspicions that he was not saved because of the apostate churches he had gone to and grown up in. So I asked him the first question. I said, hey, John, what is a Christian? I said, can you tell me what a Christian is? I mean, now, this is a pretty simple question, right? What is a Christian? If you, you've been reading your Bible for any time at all, and you've been going to a good godly church, you should absolutely know what a Christian is. It's a very simple question. My 11-year-old answered it uh, in a roundabout way, no problem. He didn't give the exact definition of a Christian as a follower of Christ, but he, he gave me an answer that was biblical. Uh, I asked him what the Bible said or what, what a Christian was, and he gave me some biblical things that a Christian would be doing, and he was kind of right on the money, and he's 11. Okay, So, and you know, this guy was in his 30s. My son's 11, and this guy couldn't answer me. And not only could he not answer me, at first he didn't even make any guesses. What's a Christian? He didn't even make any guesses. 
So after, after he tells me he doesn't know, and he can't even make any guesses, or he starts, but he's, you know, way off. After this, I, my motion of him not being really saved and born again was starting to grow. Uh, we talked a little bit about, I had asked him how long he'd been going to church. I said, well, John, how long, you know, have you been in church? Well, between, you know, the Methodists and Driscoll, I'd say, uh, would you say you'd been in church around 20 years? And he said, well, yeah, that, that's probably a good estimation. I've probably been in church right around 20 years. So I asked him how it was possible that if he was a Christian, you'd say, how could he be going to church, godly Christian churches, after 20 years and still not know the simple definition or even anywhere near a, a close guess of what a Christian is. I mean, certainly, if you've been playing basketball for 20 years, you certainly know how to play basketball, right? I mean, you know what a dribble is. You know what a shot is. You know what a, a dunk is. You know what a, a layup is. You know what a free throw is. You know what a double dribble is. You know what a foul is. You, if you've been playing basketball for 20 years, you know how to play basketball. So certainly, if you've been going to church for 20 years, you should know some basic things about Christianity. I'm not, we're not talking about, you know, you know, super, 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 you know, uh, highly, you know, misunderstandable doctrine stuff. We're talking about some basic, simple stuff. What is a Christian? Well, he wasn't sure. So next I hit him with the biggest question that God's ever given me to ask anyone on this topic of the test of person really being saved. I read to him Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, and I asked him a huge question. Now Matthew 7, 21 says this, Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to say, but he who does the will of my Father. So just because you call me Lord doesn't necessarily mean you're getting into heaven, but you must be doing God's wills, what Jesus said there, in order to be getting to heaven. So I asked him the simple question of this. What is God's will? You know, you can add for, I didn't ask him this, but you say, what is God's will for getting to heaven? For that is the question. Nobody gets to heaven unless you're doing God's will. And Jesus said if a person isn't doing God's will, then they're not going to go to heaven, right? That's pretty simple, pretty self-explanatory. And notice there, it wasn't enough that we just know how to get to heaven or know God's will. Jesus said if you're not doing God's will, then you will not get to heaven. Well, he couldn't answer that question and he didn't even guess on that one either. So I asked him this. I asked him this, if you don't know what God's will is, how do you know you're doing it? Because certainly you have to know how to do something in order to do it right, right? I give this, this great little analogy I, I go through. I said, you know, what's the highest level of math class you've been in? And he tells me calculus. I said, what about if the first day you came into your calculus class and the teacher said, okay, guys, here's the final exam. If you can't pass the final exam, if you don't get 100% on the final exam right now, you're not going to pass. And I said, I, and I, I, I've had just a couple smart out people over the years say this. And I said, so, you know, would, it, would you be able to get 100% on a final exam of a class that you've never taken calculus before and you didn't even go through the class? He says, well, of, of course not. I, I can't do that. I said, so if you didn't learn the information, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to do the product, Right. In a sense, and he's like, well, yeah, that, that's, that's right on. If you don't, you know, and, and how does it apply here? You have to know what God's will is first in order to even be doing it. But if you don't even know what God's will is, you certainly can't be doing it. It's pretty self-explanatory, right? Jesus said, 
Only those that do the will of God shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, after I asked him if he would pass the class, he said no, he'd fail. He agreed that he couldn't pass it because he hadn't learned, so he would fail. So I turned around and I turned it on his spiritual life. And I says this, how do you know, how, if you don't know God's will, how can you certainly be doing it? Can you certainly be doing God's will if you don't know God's will? And he said, no, absolutely not. I, I can't, if I don't know it, I certainly can't be doing it. Which meant, and I asked him, I said, which meant that if you can't, if you don't know it and you can't be doing it, how can you truly be saved? How can you be going to heaven? Because Jesus said, only those that do the will of God shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he agreed. And so he came to the understanding of that he truly wasn't saved and he truly wasn't born again. How does this apply with what we just learned here in verse 16? Paul just said that unless a church is teaching the correct doctrine of Scripture, then people won't be getting saved. And this guy had a slew of apostate churches under his belt, so he wasn't being taught the correct biblical doctrine. And in the end, was he saved? No, he didn't even know the truth. He couldn't have been doing the truth. He goes to an apostate church who did not teach him the Bible correctly, who did not teach him correct biblical doctrine. Therefore, he did not know how to be saved. Paul said, if you go to a church, Timothy, teach the correct things, live a godly life, and you help yourself and others get to heaven. This guy did not, and he wasn't going to heaven. Isn't that awesome? Didn't God? Because that is the picture of what Paul just taught us here. You, if you go to a church that doesn't teach you correct biblical doctrine, you're not going to learn how God says to get saved. You're not going to learn who Jesus Christ really is, and you're not going to be headed for heaven just like the man we'll call John. This conversation that I had with John perfectly illustrates what Paul just spoke to us here in verse 16. So we know that unless the church teaches the correct doctrines of the Bible and the correct teachings of Jesus Christ, their people in their churches won't be getting saved and they won't be saved. But why? I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. Only the real biblical Jesus Christ can save you from your sins. And look what Paul says in Romans 10, 14. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Think about it like this. Someone can't truly know the saving, correct Jesus Christ of the Bible if the preacher doesn't tell you about him, right? You can't know him if I don't teach him to you unless you go in your word and read him for yourself, which a lot of people don't read their Bibles. They rely on the pastors and the preachers to tell them what the Bible says, which is wrong. You shouldn't do that. But nevertheless, the church does have a responsibility to teach you, if there are a godly church, to correct Jesus Christ and who he really is in the Bible. And not only that, but what about the correct biblical teaching on how a person comes to Christ and for salvation? I mean, we all know that Christ loves us, but just because I know that Jesus Christ loves me doesn't mean I'm saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But just because I know this doesn't make the world saved, right? So yes, there's a biblical doctrine or teaching on salvation also. And only, get this, only the true teachings of the Bible 
on salvation can really teach you how you need to come to Jesus Christ for salvation. So that's why knowing the correct Jesus and knowing the biblical, the true biblical salvation doctrine is important because if you don't know those things, then you can't be getting saved. If you don't like this fellow I had a conversation with this week, like he didn't know either. And since he didn't know, because the churches that he went to didn't teach him the correct Jesus Christ or the correct biblical doctrines on salvation, he didn't know. Therefore, since he didn't know, he's not saved. He's not on his way to heaven right now. He's not on his way to heaven right now if he were to die. Okay? Jesus said, John 8, 31 and 32, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. There's that word abide again. And he says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So you got to know the truth. Somebody's got to teach you the truth, as I do. Or a godly pastor, a godly church would have to teach you the truth in order for you to know the truth so you can be set free. Now, we already talked about the many false and apostate teachings about Christ that are out there that are keeping people from getting heaven in my sermon titled The Great Apostasy, which was two weeks ago. But what are some of the false or apostate teachings on salvation today? What are the false teachings of salvation that are keeping people out of heaven that are very big in our world today? I'm just going to run through just four of them. There's there's more, but these are just the, probably the four biggest ones that are out there. These are the four top things of the teaching of salvation in the church that are keeping people, maybe you that are listening to me online, out of heaven. They are this. Number one, just pray this prayer. Just just come up and come up to the altar and, and just pray this prayer for with me. Just, just pray this one little simple prayer. That's the first doctrine of the demon, doctrine of the devil. The second one is ask Jesus to come into your heart. Just pray this prayer and, you know, ask Jesus, oh, Jesus, would you come into my heart? You know, there's not one verse in the Bible that says that we need to pray one prayer to get saved or, or, or uh, ask Jesus to come into our hearts to get saved. Third one, just believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Oh, that's, that's one of the biggest ones. Just, just have a belief in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Fourth one, fourth biggest one, believe in Christ and be baptized in water. That's number four. That should have probably been number one because that's probably the most prominent. Be, uh, be baptized, you know, get, let some, get somebody to dunk you and have this belief in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. These are the most common lies of salvation that most churches teach today. And every one of them, ladies and gentlemen, is from the pit of hell. And they're all designed by the devil to keep you and me and anybody away from truly being saved, truly knowing God, because none of them are what Jesus Christ really taught on how a person gets saved. How can I say these things? Well, very easily. I'm not an apostate church. I'm not an apostate pastor. So what do I do? I just read the Bible. I don't tell you what I think. I just read the Bible. I'm not going to even interpret this one much. I'm going to show you what Jesus Christ said from his own mouth on how you and me and everybody in this whole world needs to be saved. I'm not going to tell you this. I'm, not, I'm just going to read it to you with a little bit of understanding, with a little bit of explanation, because it's right there anyway. And you be the judge yourself. This is what Christ said himself. 
There's more than just one, but this is probably the biggest one, or it's the plainest one for time's sake that Jesus just gives on how someone gets saved. Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 39. And I want you to listen along. And as you listen to this verse, as I pray you, you receive this verse, I want you to hear anywhere in here, if you hear Jesus say, just, just pray this prayer. Or, or just believe in me, you know, just, just have this belief in me, or, or ask me to come into your heart, okay? I want, you, I want you to listen to this. He says, Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, or 37, 39, he, Jesus says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. I'm pretty self-explanatory. If you love anything in this life more than you love Jesus, you're not worthy of him. Pretty simple. I don't care what it is. Jesus said it, not me. It's not a pray this prayer. That's what he said. It's number one. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So if you love anybody in this world more than you love him, he said, you're you're not worthy of me. Time for repentance because you're not worthy of what I have to offer. Verse 38, and he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Well, what is taking up your cross? He took up his cross to go do what? To go die. So he says, if you don't put your death to flat, or you don't put your flesh to death every day, and then follow after my example and follow me, he's not worthy of me. But here's the big one. So not loving anybody more than him, not loving anything more than him, setting yourself to his path, putting your de- putting your flesh your flesh to death every day. There's just a few things. Some 39, he really hits home. He who finds his life will lose it. Translation, if you want to rule your life, if you want to be the one that's in control of your life, if you want to be the boss of your life, then you're going to lose your eternal life. If you want to be the boss of your life now, you'll lose your eternal life. And, he goes on, this this is it right here. This is salvation in a nutshell. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who puts, he gives himself, surrenders himself. You know what, Lord? I screwed up my life. It's yours. I don't want it anymore. You're you're great. I'm not. God, I need your help. I, I can't live my life for me anymore. I give my life up to you. Jesus just said that he'll find it. He'll find eternal life. And you must, as I taught last week, and I've been teaching for the last couple weeks, and it's scriptural, it's like I taught in the overview, endure in this surrender to Jesus Christ, having faith and striving to live a life of love to him and obedience until the end of your life, once you're there, in order to really, really, really make it unto the end. Because if you ever stop, you know, remember we talked about abiding in the beginning of our sermon. And if we stop abiding, if we stop living in our house, then we don't live here anymore. If we stop abiding in Christ Jesus in the ways that he just said, then we're not living in him anymore. Very simple. And you can only do this, I'll add this, 
And this is something I will add because this is from my own practical life experience in 16 years. And I can add this. And you can only live this type of life to Christ if you're reading his word daily and having a regular communication with him on a daily basis. Because really, God is like, a, he wants a relationship with you first and foremost. A relationship with him. And, you know, all this comes, you start a relationship with him by doing these things that he just told you to do in Matthew chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. Now, again, did you hear Jesus say in Matthew 10, 37 to 39, anything like, just pray this prayer? Oh, just ask me to come into your heart and, oh, just believe in me and be baptized and you'll be saved. No. Not one time did he say these things. So upon the biblical doctrine of salvation, the biblical one, not mine, not Tony's, not John's, not Bob's, not Billy's, not Mars Hill's, not whatever. Upon the biblical doctrine of salvation today, you heard it from the mouth of Jesus. Where are you at with the true biblical Jesus Christ of the Bible? And in his true doctrine of salvation, are you really Matthew 10? 37, are you really striving to love him with all your heart more than anyone or anything that's in this world? Are you really striving for that on a daily basis? Are you really, Matthew 10, 39, are you really surrendering the control of your earthly life for his sake on a daily basis? Have you really decided to follow him and you're really still following him so that he would let you find eternal salvation? Only God knows the answer to this question, but you do too, that's for sure. So God and you know what the answer to this question is. But now that I have given you the true biblical doctrine of eternal salvation, right from the mouth of Jesus Christ... All I can do is tell you what he said, which I did. I can exhort you to both truly surrender your life to him, and I can exhort you to stop rejecting his lordship in your life, because his lordship is what you need in your life, not your own. I, I live for my own man for 25 years or so in my life, and I ruined my life. Relationships ruined, life ruined, miserable all the time. I let Jesus Christ take over 15, 16 years ago and I have joy and I have peace and I can love people now as I could not before. So I can exhort you to please truly surrender your life to him and stop rejecting him as your Lord and I can pray for you if you haven't done that already. I sure do know what path that God wants you to take though. He wants you to deny yourself. He wants you to turn to him and put the deeds of your flesh to death. He wants you to pick up your cross today, and He wants you to decide to surrender to Him and make Him your Lord. I sure hope that you will make this ultimate commitment in your life to Christ, and I know that God hopes that you will as well too. Your life will soon be over. Your life will soon be gone. Very shortly whether it's a day, a month, or a year, or 20 years, or 30 years, in the span of eternity, your life will be gone soon. But your other life will begin 
It all depends on whether that life will be in heaven or whether that life will be in hell. But God knows what He wants you to do and He hopes and He's knocking at the door of your heart right now if you're not there. Hey, come, surrender to me. Hey, come, let me have control. Hey, come, let let me in. I want you to bow down before me right now and give me everything. Decide to love me. Decide to start loving me more than you love everything else in this world. Decide to start surrendering to me and not whatever else you surrender your life to. Decide, make these decisions right now, my son. Come to me. So I beg you, please, today, if you're not there, if you're not Matthew 10, 37 through 39, I beg of you and plead with you, turn to him. Surrender all. Submit your life. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and start following him. Totally surrender your life to him today. Don't wait another day because he loved you and he, he loves you and he paid a high price for you. And he wants you to come to him right now. Will you come? But you've heard it. You've heard it. You've heard it. You've heard it. And you're going to hear it a lot more from now on. What will you do with it? Will you be like the guy I called John today in our sermon where he didn't even hear it so he didn't have a chance. Now you heard it. What will you do with it? God loves you. Come. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your message of salvation is so clear. God, you sent your son into the world. Now you showed us your love. You want us to respond. Help those that are out there listening to this message right now to respond. God, I pray you to help them, Lord. Show them your love right now as they're listening to this ending right now, this closing of this message, this prayer. Help them, Lord God, to see you on the cross. To hear you say, Father, forgive them for they knew not what they do. And help them, Lord God, make a decision to look at their lives and what a mess their lives are in and help them to fall down on their faces right now and surrender their lives to Christ. Once and for all, Lord, where where there's no looking back, the cross before me and the world behind me. Please, God, they've heard the truth. This is what you said, not what I'm saying, not just the false doctrine, not just the false teaching on eternal eternal salvation. Lord, this is what you said out of your mouth. Bring them to you right now, Lord God. Please, God, save the souls of those that are listening to this message. And I ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 10.15, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.